And here we are in July already. It's summertime. And uh, we're ready to do a summer sermon series called Ancient Testimonies. We're going to look at some rather ordinary people from the Bible who made their lives count. They were just ordinary, but they crossed over into the zone called extraordinary because they experienced the reality of God's presence. And they understood that God wanted to use them. And they listened to him and they took the necessary steps to obey him. And as a result, they became extraordinary. They, they're just ordinary people, but the work and the power of God in them made them extraordinary. This summer, we've got a great uh, sample of people from both the Old Testament and the New Testament that illustrate that when you authentically remove yourself from having to do it my way and instead bow the heart and say, Father, I'm ready to do it your way. Some improbable, astonishing things can happen. Well, this morning we put the spotlight on John. Let's learn some things from John. (laughs) But which John, you ask? And that's true. There are many different Johns in the Bible. But I'm referring to the John who is the brother of James, uh, both of them disciples of Jesus, and later both apostles of Jesus Christ. He is the writer of the Gospel of John, and he referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Remember that? That's the place where we all smile, the disciple that Jesus loved. Well, John was a young man when he met Jesus, Uh, probably in his early 20s, I'm guessing. He was uh, young when he and his brother James literally dropped their nets to follow Jesus. And the boys, you know, were called the sons of thunder. Their father was Zebedee. They were the sons of Zebedee, and they were fishermen. And these boys uh, walked with Jesus for three years. They had a front row seat to many of the miracles that Jesus performed. And John witnessed the Lord's crucifixion. And remember, as Jesus was hanging from the cross, he said to, uh, to Jesus, take care of my mother. And after Jesus' resurrection, uh, who was it that rushed to the tomb? Well, Peter and John, but John was the first to really grasp that Jesus was alive, that he was resurrected. Uh, But I'm interested in this message in the closing years of John's ministry, not the beginning years. So let me take you uh, 60 years down the road to Ephesus in Asia Minor, And this is where you'll find John spending most of his life teaching and preaching in Ephesus. He really settled into a long-term pastorate in Ephesus. He actually penned the Gospel of John about 90 AD while he was pastoring in Ephesus, which today, of course, is uh, modern-day Turkey. And then the Roman authorities rounded up this suspect, uh, this apostle, and uh, they banished him to the little island of Patmos. Uh, he was exiled there for proclaiming his faith uh, under the authority of Emperor Domitian, the Roman emperor at that time. Patmos is a tiny island way out in the Aegean Sea. You gotta, you gotta Google it to kind of get a perspective of how remote this little island is. It was remote. It was a place where they sent prisoners. Uh, there was a colony of prisoners uh, on this rugged little island. I think it was about, from what I read, four miles long and, and two miles wide. Just a small, rugged, mountainous island surrounded by water. 
uh, a place from which the prisoners could not escape. Think of old Alcatraz. Uh, this is the clo- this is the closest spot uh, that I could find to Patmos uh, here in West Edmonton. It's just a huge mound of dirt in our community, a little pond below, <clears throat> and you might even be able to see and focus some pelicans this year. I think five or six pelicans have come to visit us this year and spend some time in this pond back here. So uh, welcome to our Patmos here for for the sake of this message this morning. And history tells us that there was a mine there. I think it was a coal mine, and the prisoners worked the mine. So probably that's what John did also, even though by now he's well up in years. <laughs> that certainly could not have been easy. Uh, but we don't hear him writing about himself. He he has a special message from God that needs to be delivered. Well, here's what I want you to notice about John uh, this morning, and I, I'm just ca- going to call them lessons from John. First of all, a prepared heart. There's a, a lot of things around us, uh, even in a pandemic world that we're living in, that can distract us and keep, kind of keep our hearts from a singular focus. Staying connected and vibrant in our in our faith presents some real struggles even uh, today. But John writes, he said, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus, Revelation 1.9. I mean, somebody had to have blown the whistle on, on him. And uh, the Roman authorities came and uh, said we had to put a stop to this. And John, because he is a threat somehow in sharing the gospel, was captured. They shipped him off to this lonely island uh, Patmos perhaps to spend the rest of his life there or at least a number of years. We don't really know how long John had to endure Patmos. But the next verse catches me. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Ah, these are John's words. Ah, I just think this is such a key to the effectiveness of any one of us who, who are called followers of Christ. Regardless of where we live, just take note of this. John hadn't lost focus after being exiled. When something happened that was hard, he didn't quit. His heart was still open. He was still worshiping. I mean, isn't that inspiring? Uh, even though things were tough, he, he was in, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And we know he's gone through suffering because it, it says so. In the first part of the verse, uh, uh, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. Now, awesome. There's a little clue in here that most of us uh, run up against uh, in life, and John calls us to patient endurance. That's a common biblical theme as you read your Bible. Uh, uh, endurance. Endurance. And what's maybe another word for endurance? Uh, probably the word maturity. Paul writes that we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And maybe that's another word uh, for that big word called sanctification. Uh, so you might be experiencing that right now. Patient endurance. Patient endurance. Uh, how many know what I'm talking about? The road is hard. 
And you feel it deeply. It's, it's hard. No other way to say it. And John feels it too, but what an encouragement it is that, that his heart is prepared. It was on the Lord's day. So on a Sunday, the day of the resurrection, and, and, uh, John is worshiping in the spirit. This is such a good reminder for me and for you. Uh, John was not only on the island of Patmos, but he was in the spirit too. He had the ability to live in, in, in two places at once. He was in the captivity of Rome, but he was also at the feet of Jesus. He was not only witnessing, but he was also worshiping. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, John wrote. Every Christian lives in two locations. John was on the island, and he was in the spirit. He had a human environment, and he had a heavenly environment. The, the one must not be emphasized at the expense of the other. I mean, to be so taken up with being in Christ that we forget we're at Patmos is to become mystic and to fail to know how to live in, in our real world. But on the other hand, to be so concerned that with being at Patmos and forget that we're in Christ is to become materialistic and self-focused and, and, and environmentally focused. The two locations have, have to be kept in balance. We're in Edmonton, we're in the Edmonton world, and we're in our Christ world. We're in our work world, and we're in our Christ world. Uh, so keep the two locations straight. Uh, a Christian was once asked if he were going to heaven. Uh, I live there, he said. <laughs> was he right? A workman had a little store in which he repaired shoes. He also had an apartment upstairs over his shop. Someone asked him about his situation. He said, well, I work down there, but I live up there. And that was John. He worked in Patmos, but he was also in the spirit. He was in the spirit. And that's what made Patmos endurable. That's what made Patmos endurable. Whenever you feel you're at the end, you can identify your surroundings and you can say, these are the limits. Can't go any further than this. Or you can transcend those limits by saying, Father God, I come to begin to worship and to have your spirit fill me and guide me. And that makes all the difference in the world and that will transform any circumstance that you're in. It's not a matter of happy talk. It's, and it's not a matter of good feelings. It is to move into the realm of the spirit through worship. So lesson number one, always a prepared heart, regardless of environment, regardless of the patmoses that come our way. Secondly, a revealed Jesus. John was worshiping in the spirit. And the Bible says, suddenly I heard behind me a, a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. 
His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like many ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. Ah, what a great set of verses from Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 to 19. So lesson two is a revealed Jesus. Grandpa John, Grandpa John is, is, his ministry is not yet finished. He has a great mission. The Lord wants one more book to be written before the, the Bible is complete. And John becomes uh, the mailman to pen a book and then to send this book to seven different churches in Asia Minor. He's not only the mailman, but he's the sonographer. He's the one who takes the notes and he sends them out. I mean, it's, it's like us. Every time we have a meeting of our leaders, we take minutes. And so we remember what was uh, decided. And when we want to refer back to them six months later, we have a record of that. Common practice for all organizations. And we send those notes out after the meeting, perhaps the next day. Well, John was to take minutes. He was to write down everything in his report, everything he heard and saw, so he could know, and so we could know Jesus better. And so we would be informed of what is yet to come. You know, friends, a lot of the book of Revelation is yet to come. So first, what an experience for John to see Jesus again. I mean, he had he had seen Jesus, he'd been with Jesus for three years straight, and he saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And now here it is, some 60 years later, and he sees Jesus. But now he sees differently. He sees him in his majesty. He sees him in his exaltedness. And he is so aware of his royalty and his dominion. And this is his friend, Jesus. But now he sees the risen, exalted, glorified Jesus and it's also different. And the assignment that, that John has is to become, is to write a report on we, what he sees and hears. And the book of Revelation is this report. Uh, let me take you to the opening verses of the first chapter to see how all of this was to take place. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present the revelation to his, his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is the report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, most of us have probably read through uh, the book of Revelation a number of times. And remember, the book is singular, uh, not revelations, but revelation, one, one revelation. And it's about Jesus. Uh, maybe you got a bit stuck in the book, uh, bewildered. Most of us have at one time or another. What does all this mean? 
And you may have even thought, well, this is kind of scary, uh, what happens in Revelation. It's the scary book of the Bible. Uh, well, it's true that many people read this book and they feel a little uncomfortable or for sure intrigued with what John wrote, mainly because it's hard to understand. <clears throat> there are all kinds of symbols which we can't understand. Someone has said there are about 300 symbols in the book of Revelation, and most of them are foreign to us. We don't recognize them. They're, they're not a part of our world, and so we don't get what is being said. Uh, it made more sense to those who were living in the first century. The book of Revelation would have more, been more clear for them. I mean, have you ever watched a couple of people who are hearing impaired use sign language? Uh, oh, they could just talk to each other so easily with signs. But if you don't know the signs, you have no idea what they're saying. You just watch in amazement as they use different signs to express themselves. Well, that's why reading the book of Revelation is challenging. We don't know all the signs and we don't know all the symbols. For example, John could have written in the end that a dictator will rule the world. But instead he describes a beast. The symbol of a beast says much more than uh, the title of a dictator. <clears throat> Instead of explaining a world system, John introduced Babylon the Great and contrasted the harlot with the bride. And the very name Babylon would convey spiritual meaning to readers who knew the Old Testament. And when we, we hear that this book is apocalyptic literature, we're kind of on edge because... We have all kinds of uh, dreadful things that come to rush into our minds when we, when we use the word apocalypse. Uh, too many movies with that word, and uh, it, it's kind of scary. But look at how John starts. He is only four words in when he tells us that this book is apocalyptic in nature. But what does that mean? Well, he, he writes, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, the word for revelation is apocalypse, meaning an unveiling, a revealing, not hiding. I mean, it means to be opened and to be studied. So, actually, it's not frightening. Uh, apocalyptic uh, simply means that there's some disclosure that's going to happen. There's going to be information given on who Jesus is <clears throat> and how things are, <clears throat> are going to unfold uh, in the end times. So this book is written so that we can further know Christ and we could know what is yet to come. There's still an unveiling of who Jesus is and there is a disclosure of the things that are yet to come. In fact, John writes that God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey it, what it says, for the time is near. That's really cool. I think that this is one of the few books where blessing is promised to the reader. Blessing is given to the one who reads and heeds the book of Revelation. The more I learn and grow in this book, the more I'm blessed. Isn't that awesome? You want a blessing? Just keep reading this book often. Stay in the book and, and, and keep your eyes above it all. And Jesus says, I want you, uh, you to, to rest your life on this. Uh, and I am the, the life giver. I will support you. I am the resurrection 
I am the resurrected one, the first and the last. Death can't keep me down. And when you come to the end, it can't keep you down either. Uh, I'm going to see you through it all. I made you kings and priests unto God. There is a promise of dominion as long as we walk in worship. Because you see, the purpose of the book of Revelation is to assure the reader that God is in complete control of all future events. God gave Christ the revelation, the apocalypse, to uh, give to John so it could be written and to show us the things that must soon take place. Well, why this book? To let us know in advance of what is coming. And when we see things unfolding before us, we can become confident that our God is still in control of the future. And what disturbs us is the unknown, the, the unseen tomorrow. Uh, we can be, we can see behind us. And as we look at our past, we can see with 2020 eyesight. We understand what has happened in our past and perhaps why some of those things happened. And, and we can see our, our growth through it all. But to look ahead, to see into tomorrow, we aren't sure. Where's all this going? And none of us know. What about this pandemic? Uh, I mean, it's still not over. We're, we're prone to think, well, that's all done with now. But we're warned as we walk into the future that there's more coming. Uh, at the same time, we're reminded that uh, we'll be safe if we do the right things. There is a revelation that there's more to come. We don't know what it will look like. But why is it being said? So we can get ourselves ready. So we can do the things that are necessary to do to keep safe. And uh, here we are as followers of Christ. And we don't know where we're at in God's great timetable. How close to the end are we really? Uh, what is happening? Uh, what does God want to tell us these days? Uh, uh, what's the future look like? And, and no one knows the time or the hour when Christ will return. But God isn't sitting on the edge of heaven wondering, what's he going to do with people like us? And, and God's not sitting on the edge of heaven worrying about the attacks of the beast or the false prophet or people who accept the mark of the beast. God warns us to, to know that even when these tough times come, that he is in control and God knows what he's about. How do we know? A revealing Christ, a revealing Christ. Finally, an alert people. Uh, when John saw Jesus again, he writes, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So let this be our reminder that we can never be in a place where uh, Christ's love won't find us. Friends, uh, even if we end up in Patmos, we will never be alone. Uh, we don't know what's coming down the road, but Jesus says, don't be afraid because I'm here and I am with you. We should take careful notes uh, like John uh, on, the, on this pandemic for us and learn as much as we can about doing ministry in this setting. Uh, we've had what, three months of not being together as a congregation. And that's hard. Uh, trusting God, learning to listen, understanding the sovereignty of God. How good it is in these days to learn 
how to self-feed. Uh, things are tightening up again in China these days, but praise God for the internet and, and praise God for small groups and, and the church in, in, in China continues to grow and mature uh, despite difficult circumstances. We can learn from our present day experiences and understand that regardless of our future, we can never be in a place that, that Christ's love can't find us. And thank God uh, for what he's teaching us these days about ministry. So we better know how to proceed in the days ahead. Secondly, we can never lose when Jesus writes the end of the story. We can never lose when Jesus writes the end of the story. He reminds us that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who is and was and is to come. And Jesus says to John, write it down. Remind my church that I have the last word, that history will not be complete without the final word from Jesus. Between the creation and the consummation, Jesus is the redeemer of whatever you're going through. Jesus will see us through. John says to us in verse 9, I am your brother and your partner in suffering and in Christ's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Christ calls us. People uh, on a global level in every part of the world live in bondage to superstition, live in bondage to fear of the unknown, anxiety about the future. Uh, This pandemic globally simply presses it a little deeper that the whole world and all of humanity is spinning out of control. Wars and famines and diseases and pandemics and natural disaster, all of these things that are kind of in our face these days. And they may make us think that uh, it's just chaos out there. But the book of Revelation reminds us, however, that no matter how bad things appear to be, that God is working out his sovereign plan. In the end, God will win. In the end, God wins. However God's plan unfolds in our broken world, God wins. And that gives us amazing courage and comfort. We all go through tough stuff together. We don't know the future, but we face it together as families, as a church family. We walk together. But most of all, Christ is also with us. He's on Patmos when we're on Patmos. So lessons from John. A prepared heart. A revealed Jesus and an alert people. A prepared heart, a revealed Jesus, and an alert people. Today we have the privilege uh, to gather around the elements of communion. Uh, It'll be awesome to be able to celebrate this uh, ordinance with you face to face. But until that time, we're still advantaged to break bread together, even when it's online. Uh, The book of Revelation uh, is rich in description of our worship one day before the throne. Uh, The Bible says that one day a vast crowd will worship before the throne of God and before the Lamb of God. And John describes them. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And when they praise God, it sounds like a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And when we take a a piece of bread and a cup, this is our praise to God and our acknowledgement that salvation comes from our God 
who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Uh, before we put the bread in our mouths and before we drink from the cup, could you just find a quiet moment in your soul and say to Jesus, Yes, I believe you are the Lamb of God. And I believe that you're worthy of all my praise. And I believe, dear Jesus, that you're in control of this universe. God, that you're sovereign. And Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and by your love and grace giving me salvation. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. If you know the Lord Jesus as your friend and as your Savior, I just invite you to take a piece of bread and give thanks for it. And as you give thanks, remember the work that Jesus did on the cross, that he gave his life on the cross for us. His body was broken. And do this, Jesus says, in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, and uh, the cup represents uh, his blood that was poured out for us. On the cross, Jesus, you allowed your blood to be poured out for us, and I thank you. I thank you for your work on the cross so that I might be forgiven. So friends, uh, take the cup and drink of the juice and be reminded of the love of God for you. Family of God, uh, I invite you to pray with me as we give thanks for Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. Lord, uh, what an awesome God you are. Uh, you've always loved us more than we could ever imagine. You've always been in charge of your world, even when it looks like Patmos. You've always given us hope that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And our future is secure in you. So we thank you. Now, worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen.